0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. TV 45, because my man looks miserable. So I'm going to ultimately get to both those things, but the question is, what do I start with? And I decided to start with the NFL. So the first 20 spots of the NFL Top 100 list were revealed yesterday. And of course, like every single year, it's a pretty jacked up list. That everybody hates. Even if the players vote on the list themselves. The players vote, but the fans hate. That's the way it's always been. And I'm sure that's the way it will always be. No, Josh Allen is not the 13th best player in the NFL. Maybe the player is confused Josh Allen's. Josh Allen, the quarterback, is a top 10 player, obviously. Patrick Mahomes in number 8, pretty messed up too. Putting the back-to-back MVP at number three, a little bit strange. Tom Brady ending up at number one, not that strange. (laughs) He's the GOAT, the greatest football player ever. He's coming off one of his best seasons ever at age 44. He finished second in the MVP voting, and he had the most passing yardage in his entire career. So, TB45 showing up at the top of that list is not that weird. Certainly not the weirdest thing coming from that guy over the weekend. The Brady weirdness happened on Saturday at the podium when TB45 met with the Bucks media for the first time since he returned from his mysterious 11-day absence. The absence, which was already extremely weird. Then Saturday, the old man made it even more weird. Now, just to be clear, because I know you clones... I'm going to talk about what he said on Saturday, not what he looked like on Saturday. As much as you want me to go there, I'm going to talk about what he said on Saturday and not what he looked like on Saturday. Actually, yes, I will. I literally will break one of my own rules, one of the few actual rules in the jungle that personal appearance is not show fodder. I don't want to be a hypocrite, but I'm going to break my own rule. And the reason I'm going to violate my own policy about not talking about how people look is because of how this dude looked. Absolutely horrible. Absolutely miserable. Absolutely beaten down. And according to some of you, absolutely carved. This is where I'll draw the line. I'm going to draw the line because I always say this. I do not talk about things I know nothing about. I'm not talking out my ass. I know nothing about cosmetic surgery. So, I don't comment on things I know nothing about. However, wouldn't it be awesome if just this one time some of you clones were right? Wouldn't it be awesome to get some celebrity plastic surgeon who can do a comparison of before and after shots of his face and analyze how he looked before he left camp and how he looks now two weeks later. I mean, couldn't you imagine one of those guys, one of those celebrity plastic surgeons showing up and saying, all right, now this here is clear evidence of somebody taking a hammer to his beak. And here, right here, clearly you can see the chin implants you know they've got their little pointer out they're circling it in yellow or red the telestrator on his face it don't get me wrong i don't think it's true but man i want it to be true (laughs) wouldn't that be the greatest story ever that this guy scheduled an appointment and couldn't reschedule it and needed time to heal up and that's what he was doing this personal stuff that he didn't want to get into was actually just him getting his face carved. Oh man, that'd be so great. You know, like, like dude retired. Remember, he did retire. And say, I'm just playing along. And no, I want to be so clear about this. I do not believe this. I want it to be true, but it's not true. But some of you clones seem to think so. But just to play that out, could you imagine if when this guy retired and he did... His first order of business was not to plan a family vacation, but rather to hit up a hard-to-schedule celebrity plastic surgeon. Except then he got sick of his family and he unretired, but he did not want to rebook the alleged reconstruction of his face. So he went through with it, and he needed 11 or 12 days so he could heal up. And then expected everybody to say, yo, dude, you look great. Yo, T, you look different. Did you get a haircut? You look well-rested, my man. You look well-rested. That was time well-spent. Except he doesn't. He doesn't look well-rested. He looked like hell. He sounded like hell. But as much as I want that plastic surgery conspiracy to be true, and I do want it, I admit it, I want that, You know, it's not. Come on. Even if he did come back with Pinky's five head and Bill O'Brien's butt chin and looking a little like a real housewife of Orange County, I want that to be true so badly, but it's not. I mean, stop. However, if you want an explanation as to why he does look so old and faded, it's because he's so old and faded. And he admitted as much himself.
1: It's all personal. You know, everyone's got different situations they're dealing with. So we all have really unique challenges to our life. And, you know, we're, I'm 45 years old, man. There's a lot going on. So, you know, you just got to try to figure out life the best you can. And, you know, it's a uh, continuous process.
0: Right. Right. Except that's never been that guy's deal. Right. For all of us. But not him. Not that dude. Not the dude most famous for aging backwards. The dude most famous for prioritizing football over everything else. Now suddenly he's one of us. Now suddenly he's aging like a normal person. Now suddenly he's talking about more important things in his life. There's never been more important things in his life. And by the way, that energy, his energy is all wrong. That's not who this guy is. That's not who he is. All right, so maybe it's all changed. Maybe he is changing. Just don't tell me that he's not sure whether or not he wants to be there. He made it clear when he retired that he did not want to be there, only to unretire. But then he bolted from camp for 11 days when he should have been trying to get on the same page with that busted-up offensive line. And again, don't tell me... He doesn't need it. Don't tell me, hey, Rome, did you see that one series in the third preseason game? He looked good. He did. He did. Except nobody leaves camp for 11 days in the middle of camp for personal reasons. And especially that guy. You Sure he can. But he never did. He never has. No athlete has ever been more dedicated, more disciplined, more locked in, more about it being a lifestyle, more about attention to detail. What I'm saying now is this dude's done a 180. His act now runs contrary to all of that. And when you talk about needing a vacation from a vacation, if in fact this guy bounced and he went to the Bahamas with the family for 11 days, wouldn't he come back refreshed? I'm telling you, that dude came back looking worse than when he left. Let's say something else is counterintuitive, right? Going on vacation with the family that he loved, that he retired to be with, and coming back and looking absolutely miserable. Why does this guy look so worn out? Why does he look like he just got the bleep beat out of him? Did he just get mugged? Are those recovery pajamas no longer working anymore? In other words, exactly what the hell is going on with Tom Brady right now? I'm not saying that he can't work it out. I'm not saying that he won't play at a high level. I'm saying this dude is off. The energy's all wrong and so is his face. And yes, I just broke my own rule. Personal appearances should not be show fodder except that dude looks horrible. And I'm saying that how he looks might be indicative of how he feels. And how he feels might be indicative of whether or not he wants to be there and how committed he is Now he's going to play. So in that case, it actually does matter how he looks. There's just no way that I believe anything he says after all of this. I mean, after all, the guy is saying, he made statements like this. One more point I want to make. He made statements like, oh, I don't want to be anywhere else. This is where I've always wanted to be. I've never thought about being anywhere else. This is where I want to be. And to me, that's, I'm going to be very careful how I choose my words. When Tom Brady says, I've never looked anywhere else. I've never wanted to be anywhere else. There were no other situations I even thought about. This is the place. How would you characterize how I feel about that? I'm gonna be very careful when I say this bull crap
1: since I came to this organization it's been an amazing uh you know it's just been an amazing experience for me to come to this place and be as supportive as I had over a long period of time and you know I read all these stories about all these different places I was supposed to go or could have gone and I'm like I only was gonna go to you know one place which was here you know and I think this whole organization knows that and All the conversations that we've had over a period of time, I chose the right place for me.
0: I think this organization knows that. I think we all know that. Yeah, except for that one time you tried to sign with the Raiders, right? Except for that time. Or that time that you tried to escape to the Miami Dolphins. Except for that time. Or that other time you tried to go to Miami. Except for that time. Or like the five times that Miami tried to get you. Those times. Or that time when you actually did retire, Or that time you retired without using the word retire. Yeah, but aside from all that, you chose the perfect place and everything's just great. I
1: chose the right place for me.
0: Which, of course, is why you needed 11 days away from the team in the middle of training camp. Here's the thing. We all know the Raiders deal that Dana White was trying to put together is real because Gronk is the person who brought it up. And we know the Dolphin rumors are real because Brady didn't deny that. And then we all watched that bogus, shady, sham retirement play out. They really just ended up retiring Bruce Arians. Isn't that funny how that works out? You retired, but Arians was the one who retired and you came back. Because these are all the types of things that happen when everybody's happy and you're exactly where you want to be. I guess what I'm saying is this. I don't know what the hell is going on with this dude, but as I pointed out last week, it's weird. It's really weird, and he's sounding and acting, and yes, looking like a completely different person. Like they switched up mannequins on us. They took the happy mannequin and switched him out for a bitter, carved-up, Botoxed, tired mannequin. What I'm getting at is I don't know this dude anymore. I don't know him, I just know he's full of crap. Don't tell me that you weren't looking around and that you're right where you've always wanted to be when you're retiring and unretiring and leaving camp right in the middle. But Clones, you got to admit, you had some fun with that, right? I I don't think that he left to get his face done, but man, I wish it were true. I wish it were true. That'd be the best story ever. Imagine the most dedicated NFLer in the history of the world leaving to get facial reconstructive surgery. Never mind. He's like the most handsome dude ever. Like, dude, don't don't fix what ain't broke. But 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 if it'll make you feel better about you, go ahead. So do you own or run a small business? It has been tough the past couple of years, right? But you may qualify for a tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. It's not a loan like the PPP was, but an actual refund of your payroll taxes. Omega Accounting Solutions is helping small business owners like you in applying for and getting this tax refund for your business. The tax credit is part of the federal government plan called the Employee Retention Credit Program, or ERC. In the last six months alone, Omega has recovered over $300 million in cash ERC refunds for businesses. Remember, this is not a loan, but a refund on your payroll taxes. Omega Accounting Solutions helps businesses nationwide. If you have more than five, but less than 500 employees, they are likely able to help you as well. A better business bureau partner and a champion for small business. Omega has 15 years of accounting experience, so find out if you qualify today. This program is available for only a short period of time, so call toll-free 800-704-2000, 800-704-2000, or go online to omegataxcredits.com. You've got everything to gain by determining if you qualify. That is OmegaTaxCredits.com. Follow him at Ross Tucker NFL, friend of the program, appearing courtesy of my front page story. Ross, good to have you back. How are you?
2: Jim, I'm fantastic. Just hopped off the uh, conference call with the Alabama A&M coaches for Thursday night on CBS Sports Network, they play UAB. It never stops, Jim. Saturday night, Eagles Dolphins. I'm literally on the Eagles team plane, flying back from Miami, looking at the UAB depth chart because you know what? There's a football game Thursday night between Alabama, Birmingham, UAB and Alabama A&M, and I'm going to crush it right here on CBS Sports Network like you do every day. I
0: can't oh wait. man, I, I love that so much, Ross. Give me a thought really quickly. I'm going to follow up and ask you, what does that feel like? I mean, are you living the dream life? Does it feel like something of a burden? I mean, you're on a plane back to cover something else while breaking tape of the other thing. What is that life like?
2: Okay, so uh, I love what I do. A living, right? I'm 43. I don't feel like I've ever had a real job. And I do a lot of stuff in the media, right? I've got all the podcasts and do some TV and blah, blah, blah. There's nothing to me like doing a game. It's just so much more fun to actually be in the stadium doing the game. I will say this preseason NFL has its challenges with 90 man rosters. And, you know, in the second half of that game, it was a lot to a little between the Dolphins and the Eagles, college is tough in the sense that it's like Alabama A&M against UAB, right? I don't know that I'll ever do another Alabama A&M game the rest of my life. I I may or I may not. So what makes that tough, Jim, is memorizing all the kids' names and numbers. You can't be looking down while you're watching a game. That's not doing the, the broadcast. Justice, that's not doing the – I mean, this is probably the only time the Alabama A&M kids are going to be on national TV like this. This is their Super Bowl, right? So I always treat it like that. Like, this is these kids' Super Bowl. They're going to DVR this game, Jim. This is what they're going to show their kids. This is what they're going to show their grandkids. I can't get their name wrong. Um, Do I love having to memorize all these different names and numbers every week like college football is? Probably not. That's the worst part of it, but the best part of it is getting to learn these stories. Like I literally just got off the call. The head coach for Alabama A&M, Cornell Mayner, he was Jamie Foxx's stunt double in any given Sunday because he's a former Arena League quarterback. He was just telling me that every day Al Pacino would want to throw the ball with him for like 10, 15 minutes before they started filming. Like I loved, I love, I love learning stories like that. So. There's pros and cons, like everything, but I love it, man.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, Ross. That would be an amazing story, and it is in and of itself. If that were not the second worst movie, sports movie ever made, second only to Space Jam 2. But I, I appreciate it, and I think you know where I'm going with that. All right, so let me, let me say this. And this and by that movie, sucked. That Any given Sunday sucked, and it always will suck because of all these terrible misrepresentations and cliches about the sport of football. But that aside, this is what makes you you. You understand this. You understand, well, not that the movie sucked, but that these players may not get another shot, and you don't want to misrepresent them or mispronounce their names. You understand that. You talked about Ross Tucker's my guest. You talked about the NFL preseason. Let me ask you this. Last week was also the time of year when training camp fights can reach their absolute peak. So what was your reaction when you saw the Rams? and the Bengals getting into it and an escalating series of fights until practice was finally ended prematurely.
2: Yeah, I had two thoughts, Jim. Number one, you take the two teams that were just in the Super Bowl and the Bengals players have been thinking about that every day since then. And then you put them in an environment where they're going against a team that took away their dreams of a Super Bowl ring, of a Lombardi trophy, of all that stuff. And, oh, by the way, players aren't dumb. Jim, when it comes to practice or a scrimmage against another team or a joint practice, there really aren't the same rules. You know, I mean, I got kicked out of a practice once. And I remember I got kicked out of a practice because I got in back-to-back fights. And I remember after practice, a couple of our best players said, "Talk, if that's all you have to do to get out of practicing today, let's fight tomorrow. (laughs) I mean, because there's no rules, right? So what do you think's gonna happen when you put the Bengals and Rams in that environment? And to be honest with you, seeing Donald with the helmet just brought back memories. My, my second year in the NFL, I got in a fight with LeVar Arrington and you know, we were going at it. I thought I was getting the better of it. Next thing I know, he swings my helmet he gets my helmet off. I'm punching him in the head hard, hard Jim. Like I'm punching him in the head, I'm like, Okay, this is awesome. Then he gets my helmet off because he wasn't punching me. He was just trying to get my helmet off, swings it at me. Thank goodness he missed. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. But then they come over, Jim, and they pin our arms to the side you know, to break up a fight. Right? You can break up a fight. You pin the guy's arms down. Well, they got my arms down first. Or somehow LeVar got his right arm out, and he hits me with a right hook in the side of my left head. So now I'm mad. Now I'm bleeding. My white Washington practice jersey has red all over it. My offensive line coach is pissed at me, Jim, because I lost the fight. I mean, you know, he felt like I lost the fight. So I'm killing people the rest of practice. I go in after practice. They put four stitches in my ear because LeVar split open the top of my ear. They X-ray my hand because my right hand was so bruised from punching his helmet they thought I might have fractured my hand. I'm 23 years old, I call my wife, she's working for J.P. Morgan in New York, I, and I, I'm like, how, how was your day? And she's like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what Jennifer said at lunch. <laughs> Jennifer says blah, blah, blah. And then she says, "She says, how was your day? I was like, well, I almost died. Um, then I got four stitches in my ear, I almost broke my hand. But tell me again what crazy thing Jennifer said at lunch.
0: Incredible, incredible. Again, nobody with better stories than Ross Tucker. I I agree with you, Ross. The Bengals, not enough time has elapsed. Not enough time has gone by since they lost that game. And by the way, it never will be enough time. Why are you going to put them together? I feel like you got a couple of head coaches that are really smart and really good friends, and they thought this might be a good idea, but they weren't the ones on the field who had to do what they had to do. All right, let me keep moving. Let me ask you about Philadelphia. So you've got a really good look at them, and you've been a part of their preseason coverage. There's a lot of buzz around that team right now, Ross. What is your honest assessment of their ceiling this year? How good can they be?
2: Well, I think their ceiling is really high. Uh, and I tell you that for a couple different reasons. I mean, number one, they went 9-7 and seven last year in the 16 games they tried to win. They played their backups in week 18 against the Cowboys because they'd already clinched a playoff spot. And if you remember last year before the season, Jim, the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, who does a fantastic job, He called it a transition year. So most Eagles fans thought last year would be a rebuilding year. First-year head coach, Nick Sirianni, nobody knew anything about. First-year quarterback, Jalen Hurts, people were skeptical of. And they made the playoffs. That's a pretty darn good transition year. Now you have Sirianni in year two. Hurts, this is the first time, and you know how big this is, since high school, he's not learning a new offense. He had three different coordinators at Alabama – then he goes with Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Then he had Doug Peterson as a rookie. Then he had Sirianni Like This is the first time that Hurts can actually build on what he did the year before, which, by the way, is how you get better at everything in life, building on stuff. You know, think about Peyton Manning and Breeze and Brady. Yeah, they were in the same system for 10 years. One of the reasons why they were so good. Then, Jim, you add A.J. Brown, who's the best receiver the Eagles have had in a long time. Defensively, they got Hassan Reddick's 23-and-a-half sack, Jordan Davis in the first round. He's a monster. Love Kaiser White, the Chargers' leading tackler, at linebacker, Bradbury on the back end. I guess I just don't see how they don't win 10 or 11 games. I mean, you still have to go out there and do it, but they are clearly better. The Cowboys are clearly worse, and I think that's very much in the Eagles' favor.
0: I think so, too, Ross. I think the depth of the Eagles is just stupid. I mean, their depth is incredible. Since you mentioned Ross Tucker's my guest, since you mentioned the Cowboys, as an offensive lineman, you know this better than anybody. How bad is it for the Cowboys that they lost Tyron Smith for most of the season, if not the entire season?
2: Horrible. Now, first of all, I would be absolutely shocked if he comes back to play this year. Jerry Jones acts like, Jerry Jones quotes are hilarious to me. Jim, and I played for him. I like Jerry. He came up to me the first day when they picked me up off waivers. I had never talked to Daniel Snyder one time in Washington, and the first day I was a Cowboy, Jerry Jones came up to me, said he was so happy to have me on the team, shook my hand. I was in, like, some tiny rental car, and he walks over outside the building. I love Jerry Jones. But the comments he makes, like, he, he says publicly, we'll have Tyron Smith when we need him for the playoffs. Like, Jerry, first of all, talk about putting the cart before the horse. I mean, you guys might not make the playoffs. <laughs> you know, you, they lost Lyle Collins, salary cap. They're starting right tackle. Connor Williams in free agency. They're starting left guard. So now their swing tackle, Terrence Steele, has started right tackle. They don't have a swing tackle anymore, which isn't that big a deal until your Pro Bowl left tackle's gone for the season. By the way, Tyron, if you're listening to me, that would be asinine to try to come back in December from that injury, the, the the fracture he had off his kneecap, and he's had so many injuries. He's a guy that should probably call me to realize what the rest of his life might be like, and if maybe making $60 million you don't want to keep playing football and get – he's had so many injuries, Jim. So it's not good for Tyron Smith. I'd be shocked if he came back this year. It's real bad for the Cowboys. They lose Amari Cooper – Gallup's still on PUP. Washington gets hurt. Their O-line is a mess, and now they have no left tackle and no depth. They lose Randy Gregory on defense unless Dak Prescott has the greatest season of his career or Micah Parsons starts both ways at like receiver, left tackle, and linebacker. The Cowboys are taking a step back.
0: Ross Tucker all over everything good friend of the program you can follow him at Ross Tucker NFL he appears courtesy of my front page story which remains an incredible product really quickly before you go Ross sticking in the NFC East I got to get your thoughts on this how much pressure is there on Daniel Jones this year and how likely is it that he lives up to all of that pressure do you think that he is still starting for the Giants next season.
2: Uh, almost definitely not. I would be very surprised if he was, and honestly, I don't even know if he starts this whole year. Now I saw Tyrod Taylor got banged up yesterday. Um, so I don't, but man, there were times where they were given Tyrod Taylor, the new head coach, Brian Dayball, was given Tyrod Taylor reps with the ones, you know, this is year four for Daniel Jones. And I know the situation, it's never been great. Jim. I mean, the O-line's been a mess since he's been there. Saquon Barkley gets hurt all the time. Their receiver decisions, like Kenny Galladay, they way overpaid for him. But there are no excuses. Nobody cares. This is pro football. Put your big boy pants on and play better. And now you got a head coach in Dayball that has no connection with Daniel Jones whatsoever. Not only do I not think he's a starter quarterback next year, Jim, I think there's a chance at some point this year – Dayball puts in Tyrod Taylor if Jones struggles because he wants to try to change the culture of losing that the Giants franchise has become somehow. It's really sad. I mean, the Giants were a really proud franchise. I think there's a stat out there that nobody has lost more games over the last five years than the New York football Giants.
0: No, I know there's a stat out there that says that because that stat's accurate. Ross, I I hate To be greedy, but of course, I'll be greedy. How about one more on the way out the door? When you hear Garrett Wilson say that Joe Flacco, quote, does a good job of making the passers receiver friendly, that's the best way I can put it into words. They're pretty easy to catch. When you hear that, can you help me translate that? Can you decode that? Does that get your attention? For instance, is that praise of Flacco or is that criticism of Zach Wilson?
2: So, first of all, Jim, you're never being greedy. I would give you any time you want. You're the man. You've done awesome things for me. I'll stay on this phone, my cell phone, for the next hour if you ever want me to. So, that's number one. Be careful, man. Number I might. two, Garrett Wilson is a rookie that doesn't know better that he shouldn't say stuff like that. Of course, it's a bad look for Zach Wilson. I, I First of all, I did the Jets' first preseason game. Zach Wilson threw the ball like five yards over Garrett Wilson's head, then he threw a terrible pick before he got hurt, of course that's a bad look. If they said, look, I'm sure the, the New York media went crazy for it, I can tell you, if they said that in Philadelphia, that would be all they would talk about on Sports Talk Radio for weeks. Because if the, if the guy comes out and says, the kid we took number two overall doesn't throw as catchable of a ball, that's what he's saying. Flacco throws a more catchable ball. Zach Wilson doesn't know when to layer the ball doesn't know when to take a little bit off of it, that's not a good look for Zach Wilson at all. Maybe he'll learn. I can tell you this much. I can almost assure you that Garrett Wilson has learned from Jets PR to not compare them ever again or to say anything like that.
0: Guaranteed. All right, Ross, I'll take you up on this then. Speaking of, quote, not a good look, not a good look, how did Tom Brady look to you when he finally got in front of the media And if you had to read body language or facial language or energy or vibes, what did you make of what he was throwing off?
2: So in fairness, you know, I I saw the quote where he said, I'm 45, man, I got a lot of you-know-what going on. I didn't watch the rest of what he had to say because I know Tom and he never says anything. So it's a total waste of time usually. I will say this, though. You know, I played with him in 05 and 06, Jim. Big fan. I think he's an awesome guy, awesome lay- leader. I think he's the best football player of all time. You know, him taking 10 days off, that's kind of rough for people like me that support him and defend him, right? I mean, I've always made the argument that the reason why he has so much success is because it's more important to him than it is to everybody else. He puts more time in than everybody else. He's, he's full throttle all the time. I can't really – I'm not going to come on the Jim Rome show, okay, and line – like, I can't say that. The guy just took 10 days off during training camp when he's got new receivers like Julio Jones and Russell Gage. They have O-line issues with a new center, new left guard. It's a – it's – look, he can do it every once. There's part of me as a former player that think it's amazing that he evidently took like a 10-day <laughs> vacay during the middle of training camp. I mean, like, I'm – I'm I'm incredibly impressed, but I he, he just ruined my argument for however they perform this year. I can't say well Brady's totally committed, totally dedicated. Can't say that this year he's not. He took ten days off in the middle of training camp.
0: This is why there is nobody better at this. Seven years in the NFL, NFL analyst, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Westwood One, CBS Sports Network broadcaster. Look for Ross on Thursday. Follow him at Ross Tucker NFL. Also, make sure you check out my front page story, which is an amazing product. Ross, really appreciate you. Such an amazing job as always. Great to have you on the show, Ross. Thank you very, very much. No, thank you, Jim. Anytime. You know that. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums and worse yet, how their rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with discover you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, let's get back to the daily jungle. You know, this stuff that we talk about here daily. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms apply. All right, Husker fans. I'll ask the question, even though I know the answer. How y'all living? The answer is terribly, horribly. Instead of living your best life, I know you are living your worst. How do I know? Well, I know you, and I really, really like you, and you really, really like your football team, and your football team just took an enormous dump in their pants.
3: You have a big dump in your pants. That's how I know.
0: I know you feel like hell because I watched them choke as only the Huskers can under Scott Frost in an opener against a Northwestern team that won three games last year, like Nebraska, that Nebraska slapped the hell out of last year. So, yes, I know how you're doing this morning, Horribly. How else do I know? I have been perusing all your reaction videos, especially this one from a dude who felt the need to shoot his from his bathroom.
3: You thought you were ready to watch Nebraska football, but really what you were was ready to be heard again. I'm doing this one from the bathroom because that's where belongs. And this game was Nebraska gave up two, two double-digit leads in this game. Two. Remember last year watching the Iowa game and they blocked that punt and everybody in the entire f-ing universe knew that game was over and we were going to lose and then we we were two scores ahead. We have all the momentum in the world. And we do an onside kick against a team that we know wins by rock fighting. And the key to that is is making them rock fight their way all the way down the f-ing field, not giving them a short field. <sighs> I cried
0: during this game. Easy, Kirk Street, My man nailed it. He absolutely crushed that analysis. He said, I'm doing this video from the bathroom because that's where ish belongs, and that was ish. He's so right. We had a two-score lead. The only way Northwestern was going to come back was by rock fighting. Unless we gave them a better weapon than a rock of course, he cried during that game because it hurts. I have not seen a more despondent reaction video since that dude was crying his eyes out about Ghana.
3: It's the World Cup. Man, we were like, it's the World Cup, bro. We had a chance. We had a, we, had a, we had a chance. I cried during this game.
0: Hey, Ike, I know you're looking for a JR podcast guest. You should book that old guy, man. His analysis was spot the bleep on. Nailed it.
3: That's where
0: belongs. You can do the entire pod, my guy, from the bathroom. Because that's where ish happens. Thing is, that's Nebraska fan. I've always felt that way about them. Knowledgeable. And I know Husker fans have taken a lot of L's over the years. But Saturday may have been the worst. In fact, Saturday was the worst, and that's saying a lot, because there have been some horrible, horrible losses and some embarrassing moments over the past six-plus years without a winning season. This, though, was rock bottom, because this was another week zero game. You were the biggest game of the weekend. All eyes were on you. All eyes were on that so-called overhauled coaching staff. All eyes were on all those transfer players you brought in. All eyes on you because, well, there was nothing else to see. And it's a make or break year. And not just for Scott Frost, but for the entire program. Make or break and it broke. It broke so badly that dude was crying and cursing while sitting on his toilet.
3: I cried during this game.
0: And probably after. And probably now you were playing against a Northwestern team that you hammered by 49 last year. That's how terrible Northwestern was last year. You were 3-9 and at year's end, and you still beat them by 49. That's how horrible they were. You were a three-win team, and you beat them by 49 last year. And then Saturday, you were up double digits in the second half of a game where you were a double-digit favor, and then this infamous moment... Oh, and an outside kick. Northwestern is on it.
3: At the 45, Scott Frost going for the mortal blow in this game. And now Northwestern has a short field.
0: Fox on the call. I saw that play live, and I could not believe what I was seeing. I have since watched that play so many times, and I still cannot believe what I saw. I still have no idea what Scott Frost was doing there. Now, I've heard him try and explain it. But I have no idea what he was doing there. There was a moment where I legitimately wondered, is my guy trying to get fired? Is he trying to go TLR on us? The thing is, I know he's not. I know he's not. He's not built like that. I know getting fired is the last thing Scott Frost wants. I know how much he loves Nebraska. I know how much pride he has. I know he does not want that to be a part of his legacy. Or in fact, his actual legacy. I know how badly he wants to succeed. But holy crap, that was one of the dumbest calls I have ever seen. By any coach. In any sport. Ever. Like that dumb. You're up 11 in the third quarter against a Northwestern team that was absolute garbage last year. Just keep doing what you're doing. Close it out, finish like the alleged badasses you keep telling us you are, get your win, fly back to Lincoln with a dub in your hands. Instead, you go for an onside kick when you don't need it, and you hand them the game. Scott Frost goes all Lindsey Jacobellis on it, looking to style the win, and face plants hard. And it's not just that it was an asinine call, but the thinking behind it is even worse, Because it shows zero confidence in your ability to close out a win even when you have a double-digit lead against a double-digit dog in the second half. Like, you feel that crappy about being able to hold on to an 11-point lead against a 12-point dog that you've got to do something that desperate? Something that dumb? And can we think about the risk and reward of a play like that? Is there anybody anywhere, new school, old school, analytics crew, Or otherwise, other than Scott Frost, who thought that was a good idea. And not only was the call terrible, the execution was a disaster as well. Wasn't even close to succeeding. You just gave the game away. So, when asked what he was thinking, this is what Frost said.
3: At that point in the game, I thought all the momentum was on our side. I thought if we got it, we could end the game.
4: The way we were playing, I felt like maybe we were the better team. And you can't really foresee them scoring 14 straight uh, and us sputtering after we'd played well to start the second half on offense. So, again, those are excuses. If I had it over, I wouldn't make the call.
0: Yeah, but, dude, you didn't need to have it over because you should have never made that call in the first place. This is not one of those hindsight is 2020 things. Everybody knew that was a terrible call the second it was made. Like, as always, in any walk of life, if you're a leader of any sort, you want to surround yourself with people – who tell you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. And what Frost needed to hear in that very moment was somebody to step up and say, Oh, no, 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 no. Boss. Boss. Horrible idea. Terrible idea. Again, he should have never made that decision. That stops with him. But once it was clear that that's what he was going to do, somebody should have jumped in his headset or his ear and said, Hell no. Hell no. And by the way, hell yes, I could see Northwestern scoring 14 straight and your guys, quote, sputtering after that play. Everybody not named Scott Frost could see that because that's how it goes. The moment the Huskers didn't recover it, everybody knew that's how that was going to go down. Because you gave them a short field to work with and you told your own team, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to finish it, so let's finish it right now. And I hate to say it, Husker fan, but Nebraska gonna Nebraska and Nebraska just nebraska would So you're hanging out with some friends, you're putting back a few drinks, a few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you got this, you live nearby, you can make it home just fine, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, what are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up? You lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill somebody, everybody knows about the risks of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still does not stop everybody from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe. Plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or somebody else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. We are joined right now by Leon Edwards. Leon, it is great to have you on the show. How are you? I am good, thank you. How are you? I'm great, Leon. I am awesome. It's so good to have you on. You've had a few days to get used to it, so I'm curious. How does it feel to hear yourself introduced as the welterweight champion of the world?
4: It feels like what, what I've been doing for a long time, you know, it's been a, a long, hard road to get here, so it's still a bit surreal at the moment, but I'm taking it in day by day, and I, I am, like I said, happy, and to, to hear you say it, it's it's amazing, you know.
0: Yeah, Leon, it's got to be amazing. And your journey, of course, is well-known, and it's amazing. I want to talk to you about the knockout in a moment, but you said that in the week leading up to the fight, you were not necessarily as nervous as you may have been in the past. Why do you think that was? Did you have a strong feeling that you were going to shock the world or that you were going to do something great? How did you know?
4: Um, I felt like a, a weird feeling where I feel like belonging. I felt like that moment was, was, was my moment, and I felt... All the struggles I've been through and everything I've been through was for this moment. And I, I, I didn't feel as nervous as I did in previous fights because I knew what I knew. I knew I was a better guy out right there and just going out there and improving it. And that's what I did.
0: Leon Edwards is joining us. So your coach, Dave Lavelle, has gone viral, of course, for his messages to you in between the rounds. What do you remember him telling you? And then how would you describe the relationship that the two of you have?
4: Um, I've known Dave now since I was age 17. I'm now 31 years old, so we've, we've been together for a long time, you know, and I think he knows just how good I am in the gym, so when he sees me in the fights and I'm not performing as, as I should be performing, because um, of altitude or whatever the case is, he's just trying to basically trying to wake me up, you know, just saying, like, don't blow this moment, this is your moment, and this is what you're, you're worked hard for, you know, like, don't let this moment go to waste, and... He knows I have to to get under my skin, and that's what he did.
0: (laughs) Leon Edwards is the UFC welterweight champ. You know, you had that amazing first round, a great, great first round. But Mm -hmm. then things were not going as well after that. Leon, at any point did you feel like the fight was slipping away from you and that you had to do something dramatic to finish and win?
4: Yeah, 100%. Uh, I felt after the first round, I went out there, won the first round, and from there, my body just kind of shut down. Um, Like I said, the attitude affected me going going to Utah, you know, so um, yeah, from from there I felt like it's, it's slowly slipping away and I thought I need, I need to go out there and um, up, up the pace or get the finish and yeah, that, that, that's what I did in the
0: fifth round. It seems to me, watching that night, Leon, you were not the only one affected by the altitude. It seemed like there were a lot of other fighters prior to your fight that also had that same kind of issue with the altitude. The final moment, Leon, is one of the all-time great, great moments in UFC history. I'm curious, what did it feel like when your foot connected with Usman's head? I like to always ask this of guys who get knockouts like that. Did, it feel, did you feel it, or did it feel so perfect that it didn't really feel like anything at all?
4: Yeah, exactly. It Felt like hot knife through but He felt perfect. You know, did, there, there was no, there was no pain. There was just a perfect impact. And I see, I see the way he folded over, and I went over to like go for the ground and plan, but it was already out. I saw his eyes was rolling. I thought he's done. You know, so it was a fantastic moment.
0: Leon Edwards is joining us. I'm curious. I mean, if if it's all just kind of sinking in still yet, yeah, this seems like kind of an absurd question to ask. But in that moment, or in the moments after you threw and landed that kick. Did you have any idea how dramatically your life would change as a result of landing that kick?
4: Um, not 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 exactly that moment. I know obviously achieving my goals and my dream to become a world champion, I knew that would have a positive effect on my life, you know, but as far as like the viral moments and the memes and just even the speech after, you know, everything just like worked out perfectly.
0: Now, Leon, I think that there are people listening right now that really, really know the sport and really, really know you, so it's kind of redundant. But then I've got a lot of mainstream listeners that don't necessarily know your background. For those who don't know, you were born in Jamaica, then you moved to England when you were nine years old. What was that move like for you?
4: Um, it was uh, also a culture shock move from, from Kingston, Jamaica, to um, Birmingham in, in the UK. It was just a totally different life, you know. Um there was way more, well, less poverty, I would say, and uh, way more um, options and stuff to do with, with your life. You know, as in Jamaica, it was, it was more difficult. It was a more difficult background, born, been born in poverty. and So, yeah, it's it's a totally different uh, culture shock.
0: We're talking to Leon Edwards. So the story goes that when you were 17, 17, you were out walking with your mom, and she saw an MMA gym above a DVD rental store What did you know about MMA at that time, and what do you remember about walking into that gym the first time?
4: Um, Before, I knew nothing about it. It It was the first time, I thought it was a boxing gym, so she she brought me to the gym to keep me from getting into trouble with my, uh, hanging around the street and getting into trouble, you know, and she's like, you should give MMA a go. I was like, okay, I'll give it a go just, just for you, you know, and I gave it a go, went to the gym, and I just remember my first day, there's a positive feedback I was getting from the coaches, from the other athletes. I think that's what kept me in the gym. That's what kept me wanting, wanting to go back.
0: We're talking on Leon Edwards. He is the UFC welterweight champ. I'm curious, those first few days, I mean, was it love at first sight? Did you absolutely love it? Or maybe did you just have a great talent for it and you were getting positive feedback? Like, what was it like in the beginning?
4: I think I had a great talent for it. I didn't for, for love it straight away. I had a great talent for it. I took to it straight away. And I think the positive feedback from the coaches, like like I said, was keeping me in the gym. And I wanted to go back. I wanted to improve. I wanted to get more positive feedback. And that's what I did. And I, I, I stuck to it, stuck in the gym. And now here we are, the world, yeah. world Champion of the World.
0: Here we are. So your mom, she she recommended you go in there because she wanted to keep you out of trouble and keep you off yeah. the streets. But, but as you start to bring home trophies and hardware, she was more and more proud. I'm curious, given the, everything that you guys went through growing up and to see you do what you did on the biggest stage and you're a world champion, what did that mean to her? What was it like to share that with her?
4: It, it means the world it meant the world to me and to her you know and to her family and I think you've seen the, the phone call after the fight when the former mom and it just brought down <laughs> brought down crying because I know how much it, it meant to us and this this moment would mean for us you know and so it was, she, oh she told me she's proud of me and she she's very happy you know and to make to be a son and make him mom proud. that's about what every son has worked hard for and, and aimed to do so um, it's a pro moment for me and my family.
0: Talk on Leon Edwards for a few more moments. You know, you've said that that was actually one of your worst performances. So, what does it say about just how good you can still be if you had one of your worst performances and beat the pound for pound champ?
4: Yeah, exactly. Um, I, like I said, attitude like messed up my performance. I, I couldn't perform as well as I should have performed. You know, so like I said, I've took, I took after the best of what the champ, the ex-champ had to offer. Um, so next, if we do do number three. It's going to be a totally different fight, and I'm, I'm looking forward
0: to it. You got in there ahead of me. Leon, I was going to say you are the champ. I know you want to enjoy that for a moment, but of course they pay me to ask things like that, but you beat me to it. So who do you want to fight next? Do you want a trilogy fight with Usman, or do you want somebody else? Um, I think I think
4: Usman of deserving of the trilogy. You know, um, I love to have it back in the UK, though. Um, in Wembley would be good. The O2 would be good in London. Um, so yeah, I'd love to give him the rematch, run it back again, and let's settle the score.
0: It's That's a great phrase you just said, let's settle the score. Since you said that, I want to ask you this. Do you have any plans to ever settle the score with Jorge Masvidal from your backstage fight in London from back in the day?
4: Yeah, 100%. That's that's, that's top of my list, you know. But at the moment, I think Jorge, he's, he's he's on like a two three fight losing streak. So he needs to go out there, get some wins, and... Uh, Made the fight make sense, and that's a fight that I think would be massive for the UFC. And to get my revenge on him, I I cannot wait. So, 100%.
0: Leon Edwards joining us. One last thought. So, you've made the point that you winning and you becoming a champion shows everybody that anything is possible. What would you say to somebody listening right now who feels like they're in a tough spot and they just can't get through, or they don't know where to start, or they can't fight through it?
4: I'm just in- indoor, you know, and it's okay to, to not be okay sometimes. Just always indoor, always put one foot in front of the other and just keep going because there's always a light at the, at the end of the tunnel, you know, and that's what I did. I just kept focused. Even when I went through my rough patches through, like, the pandemic, I, I, I wasn't able to fight, and um, I was I was sitting out for, like, two years. I just kept control what I could control, which is turning up to the gym, training, and that's all it is. There's control what you can control. Put one foot in front of, front of the other and just endure it and, if, um, like I said, I'm a big believer in God as well, so put God first and you'll you, you get through
0: it. Such great advice. Leon, one last thought, because you're the second person in the last two shows to utter that phrase, and I think it's so important. You just said, it's okay not to be okay. And for a long time, it was such a taboo subject to even discuss mental health, especially if you were an athlete. Can you just really quickly elaborate on what it means to when you say, it's okay not to be okay?
4: Um, For me, it means like, when you have moments where you feel down, like it's okay to feel down, you know that's 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 just what it is, right? But eventually, you 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 you'll be smiling again another day, and so that's what all it means to me. Just don't think this this moment that you're feeling down now is 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 where it ends. Cause it doesn't. If you keep focusing, keep doing what you're doing, eventually you will be back smiling again, and it will be bad days, and, yeah, that's all it
0: means to me. I love that. Beautiful. He is the UFC welterweight champ. He's 20-3. and three. He has not been beaten since 2015 and beat Kamaru Usman by fifth-round knockout at UFC 278. He is the world champ. Leon, so nice to have you on the show. Really appreciate your energy. Really appreciate you making time for us. It's just great to have you on the show, Leon. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. as I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, I've got a quick question for you. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48 hours sweat and odor protection. 48 hours. Like, I didn't even know that was possible. 48 hours. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and easy to use. I mean, the product is pretty amazing. All of that, and especially, especially good when you're on the go. And, Dove Men Dry Spray continues, and Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. And it goes without saying, you better be moisturizing. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it helps to protect your skin. And did I say, you had best be moisturizing? I do, you should. Try Dove Men Dry Spray, goes on dry, clean feel, all day we are joined by utah state head coach blake anderson blake it's been a few years since you and i last spoke first of all how are you doing and how would you describe the vibe around your team after saturday's win
5: well we're happy to get a win there's no doubt about that we we've always said a ugly win still a win we did not play great a lot of new guys out on the field for the first time but played at home in front of a great crowd and did enough to uh to get a W and and a lot to work on. But, man, I love it here. Last year couldn't have gone better. Raise the trophy in year one was definitely uh, kind of busted the expectation bubble, and and now we're just trying to fill some gaps where we lost some key players that are still playing and, and find out what we're made of, and it does not get any easier. As you mentioned, we make a trip to Tuscaloosa to play maybe the best team on the planet.
0: So we'll uh, we'll find out real quick what we're made of. Well, I'll tell you how good an answer to that is. You answered a few of my questions already. Blake Anderson joining us. All right, so let's talk about what you have. I know the running back position may have been a spot where you may have had some concerns over the summer. So when Calvin Tyler Jr. rushes for 161 yards and Briggs goes for 85 on 10 carries, what did you make of the way your running back showed up on Saturday?
5: I was pleased there with the exception of the turnovers. We, we did put the ball on the ground a couple times there, frustrated with that. But our ability to run the ball, they, they were absolutely not going to let us throw the ball behind them, did everything they could to, to just you know find out if we could run the ball and we, we did run the ball better Saturday than we did um, pretty much most of the season a year ago. Calvin carried the ball 30 times plus, wasn't probably in a position to do that a year ago and then Briggs was a huge you know surprise. We, we loved it coming out of high school. he's got burst he's got speed 10-5, 10, six. 100-meter kid, but not every freshman, not every true freshman is, is ready for that kind of moment. So the spark that we got from him was huge. We were able to run the clock out at the end the last five minutes of the game, ran the ball, didn't put it in the air, didn't give it back to UConn, and that's something we struggled to do a year ago as well. So as bad as it was in some areas, the run game was better. It's something we can definitely build on both those guys, uh, you know, we need to keep them healthy and and just
0: continue to improve. Utah State head football coach Blake Anderson is joining us, Utah State and Alabama coming up this weekend. Blake, let me ask you about your quarterback. Logan Bonner threw for nearly 300 yards. He had three touchdowns Saturday. You've been with him for a while now, going back to your time at Arkansas State. How would you describe the relationship the two of you have?
5: Well, that that relationship goes back to when he was 17 years old, coming out of high school, Uh, sitting in his living room with his family, and in recruiting him, uh, it's it's been amazing to, to to just kind of build the relationship we have. We've been through a lot of ups and downs. Uh, he's had tons of injuries and adversity that he's had to deal with. You know, he's been with me along losing my wife and losing my son uh, just a few months ago. He's been that guy that just we've got to connect. I coached him in that room for several years. I I ran the offense and coached him personally every day for several years. It's just not something you get to do that often. I mean, this is year seven for us together. Uh, It's unique. It's a lot of fun. Love the way he played Saturday coming off of an injury. You know, he tore his ACL in the bowl game, and he has busted his butt to get ready in a very short window and played played really, really well. Didn't turn the ball over, threw the ball on the money when he had to, set in the pocket, and really proud of, of what he's doing. I think if we can keep him healthy and he can just stay away from the injury, he can have a, a huge, huge senior year. Played great down the stretch last year when we needed him most. And and I feel like he's at a point where he feels very confident about what he's doing.
0: Utah State head coach Blake Anderson, my guest. So, Blake, I had Kyle Whittingham and Kalani Sataki both on the program last week. In the final AP poll of last season, their programs and yours were on in the top 25, so you are battling with them in recruiting right now. What are those battles like, and how do you see your program fitting into the college landscape in the state of Utah?
5: Well, the, the league has is, is gotten stronger and stronger. The Mountain West proved last year that we we could play and play at a really high level. We competed really well against the Pac-12 and the Big 12. We won the Bowl Cup, had the best bowl uh, record uh, of any league in the country. We were the top group of five league in the country. So that's, that's where we need to be as a league. Us battling head-to-head I mean, with, with BYU going into Big 12 and obviously Utah winning the Pac-12, that's, those are tough to people to swing at. But we, we won a couple battles. We lost some as well. The great thing about our footprint in the state of Utah is they've got phenomenal high school ball, there's, there's a ton of talent to go around. Uh, we've got a lot to sell, a great environment that's unique, a, a great college town environment. And so I, I felt good about what we were able to do. We, we still hit the portal, the transfer portal heavy. It's how we won the league a year ago. It's going to be an impact on how we play this season because we graduated 16 seniors, and we did not have 16 young guys ready to step up into each one of those areas. So a lot of the key players that made plays on Saturday were guys that came out of the portal. And that is a place, I think, that we can impact our football team and did last year. And I think we've done the same thing again this year. And it'll be the key to success if we can get those guys all moving in the right direction at the same time.
0: Blake Anderson joining us. You mentioned you have an opportunity on Saturday night against maybe the best team on the planet. When you look at Alabama and you look at them on film, exactly what do you see?
5: Just zero weaknesses. I mean, just the most... Physical, fast football team that you're going to play. I mean, we, we know what we're up against. Um, we, we we know. I mean, you got Heisman Trophy winners and and candidates and defensive players of the year and ton of NFL players across the board. Uh, it, it is a huge. It's daunting. It's a daunting challenge. If you watch tape, you just don't see any flaws. Uh, best coach to ever, coach. I mean, everything you think of stacked against you. But you know, if we get if we get so focused on that and get so overwhelmed by that. We won't won't really spend time on what matters. What we've got to do is focus on getting better this week. We did not play well in a lot of areas Saturday. We played well enough to win, but not up to our our capability, not up to our standard. We've got to simply focus on getting better this week, putting the best product that we can on the field, and and hoping that that puts us in a game with these guys. If, If not, if we don't play our best, this thing will be over at halftime. We've got to improve and play our best and put ourselves in a position to make them work for everything they get. You know, maybe they don't come out playing on all cylinders game one, just like we did last week. Some mistakes here or there. We had to capitalize on those, but we can't do their work for them. We cannot go in and play badly. And so we're, we're really just going to focus on us because if not, you can get overwhelmed with the talent you're going to see, the size, the speed. Y- you can't let that just completely ruin your week of trying to prepare and get better.
0: Yeah, I really, really appreciate that response. And in, sen- in a sense, it's kind of like what Nick Saban himself constantly talks about: like, do not worry about the results; never worry about the results; focus on the process. You know, Blake, as somebody who's done this a long time and done it at a high level, what you just said was, I'm probably, or we are probably going up against the best coach who's ever done it. What is it about Saban? Like, coaches, they're all cut from a different cloth, but they have similar messages, similar approaches. Very bright, very charismatic. They have to do certain things a certain way. What is it? How did he get separation? Why is he the best to ever do it other than all the rings? You know, I think just
5: consistency. It it's hard to find consistency and longevity. It just when you look across, uh, you know, college football and even NFL, it, at some point it comes falling down and it just hasn't done that for them. They struggled really early when he first got there as he was building it because I think he was patient to build it the right way and you have seen consistency and they, I mean, every year, I mean, a bad season is when they get beat in the championship game and most people would just love to get there. Uh, that is just unique. He obviously is in a place that has a, a passion for football and they do everything they can to compete at the high level. But we've seen people go into that same location, that same environment you know, in the past and just not have the success. So consistency uh, is to me that the, the thing that he just captured in a way that most people or really very few can.
0: I appreciate that. Blake, one last thought. Last season, it was such a huge, huge year for your program. You had your first road win against a power conference team in 50 years, your first Mountain West Conference championship in school history. Great to have that success and to build on that. But at the same time, when you have players who've never dealt with something like that, how do you go about making sure they've got their heads on right and they know how to handle that success and the expectations?
5: Yeah, you got to get them back to ground zero. You really do. Uh reality's got to set in that we graduated 16 really good players. Several of those guys are playing in the NFL. Now they're not here anymore. Other guys have to step up and, and there're no points for us having the trophy in a trophy case. It, it nobody cares anymore. So life is go back to work. I think we did a good job of that in the off season. I think our guys really realized that that this is back to zero zero, back to square one. You get, you know, we talk about you, you know, respect is not given, it's earned. You've you got to go back out and do it. Uh, nobody cares about yesterday. You've got to go back and do it. I think they've got a good grasp of that. Uh, and, and this week is going to be a challenge in itself. But uh, it is a re- reality check this last week and that we've got still a ton of work to do.
0: I'll tell you what, I'm so glad I asked you that question, and not just for your program, but for life. That's that's it, right? You have to go back to work. You've got to go back to ground zero. Nobody cares what you've done already. I love that. That that just hit me the right way. Blake Anderson is the head football coach of Utah State. Second season there. They're coming off a win over UConn 31-20, to and they are at number one Alabama on Saturday night. Blake, great to get caught up once again, as I mentioned. It had been a couple of years, but good to have you on the program. Thank you very much, and good luck this weekend.
5: Thanks for having me back. We'll need it. Good night, no!